Genesis 4. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord, I've brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to her brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he didn't look with favour. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work on the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who, who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain made love to his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad. And Irad was the father of Mehujael, and Mehujael was the father of Methushael, and Methushael was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Adar and the other Zillah. Adar gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of all those who live in tents and raise livestock. <coughs> His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain's sister was Naamah. Lamech said to his wives, Adar and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has grant granted me another child in place of Abel, 
since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. In the New Testament, 1 John 3 verse 12, we read this warning. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. And of evil, selfish men, Jude verse 11 also writes in the New Testament, Woe to them, they have taken the way of Cain. The way of Cain is the outcome of rebellion against God. While Cain was fully responsible for his own choices when he decided to kill his brother and pretend it didn't matter, still the genesis of Cain's sin found its beginning in his parents. It's just one of the many fruits of rebellion that all humans inherit from Adam and Eve, as we considered that last week in Genesis 3. The way of Cain is the way of self-interest and death. It's the way of contempt for the lives and welfare of others. The way of Cain is devoid of other person-centred love. It can be found all over our society and is deeply rooted within each of us, for all of us are the offspring of Adam through whom came sin and death. The way of Cain is what stands behind the terrible statistics of the 20th century where some 125 million people were put to death by government agencies around the world. The way of Cain is what stands behind what's occurring in Russia and the Ukraine right now. And closer to home, the way of Cain is what stands behind and feeds our Australian violence statistics. In the lifetime of every Australian male, one in two will experience serious violence at the hands of another person. The statistics for women are lower at one in three, and that's good. However, the stark difference remains that while men may be attacked by a total stranger, nearly all violence against women comes from the hands of someone who knows them intimately. Every day in Australia, eight women are hospitalised because of violence from a current or former male partner. More than one of those eight will die each week. (coughs) Intimate partner violence remains the leading cause of death, disability and illness in Australian women aged 15 to 44. And higher again are the figures on coercive control and disputes that don't make it to the hospital. In fact, our Australian police attend a serious domestic dispute every two minutes around the clock. And this year in Australia, we can expect another 72,000 women, 34,000 children and 9,000 men to seek homeless services because of relationship violence. And that's just for the Australians who make it out of the womb to receive a date of birth. For the way of Cain also stands behind our Australian abortion statistics. 
For all our fear of death from cancer, it appears now to be more dangerous to be unborn inside an Australian womb than to be seated in a doctor's office with a cancer diagnosis. Cancer patients have a higher chance of survival than unborn Australians. It's a wonder any of us are alive at all. And for all of us who are, the statistics declare that we're already damaged by the way of Cain, or we're very likely soon to be. And if not for God's intervening grace, the numbers would be worse. And I know this for a fact because I know myself and I know my history. As a 12-year-old, I plotted the violent death of my brother. I don't remember what he did to upset me much. At a guess, I'd say he teased me about something I cared about, or he hurt me physically, or deprived me of something that I thought was mine. Strange that what he did has been forgotten, but the way I felt towards him can't be erased from my memory. Now, out of fear for consequences on that day, I did nothing. (laughs) But I did make a real attempt with a projectile at age 14, and then at age 16 with my fists. In the course of that last one, I failed so badly, I injured the thumb on my right hand bad enough that I still have trouble with it today. Having failed miserably at physical murder, I devoted my my energies to character assassination amongst his peers, knowing that emotional abuse in teenagers is quite the effective killer, as we all know. Mercifully, God intervened. And three years later, we both came to know the Lord Jesus. The hatred cycle slowed and stopped and we eventually were reconciled. But not before the way of Cain did long-term damage. The way of Cain is not something that's out there. It's not something out there affecting others. It comes from within. It's right here in our hearts. It's here and it comes from our hands and it's in the bitter thoughts that we harbour and foster and ponder on in our minds. It can be seen by God in our faces and it's just one of the reasons, that, just one of the reasons we need Jesus so badly. And meanwhile, it's only by God's intervening grace that anything good can happen, that anything good can happen while we wait for Jesus' return. And it's precisely that that Eve recognises here. It's God's merciful intervention that she recognises at the outset of our passage, chapter 4, verse 1. Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord... I've brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. And all was well. Until the two brothers grew up. And Cain, like his parents before him, decided that he knew better than God about what was good and what was evil for him. It's a classic human soap opera. As Cain's envy of Abel's relationship with God becomes bitter resentment. 
And rather than learning the obvious lesson of God's delight in Abel's generous sacrificial gift and, and therefore choosing to repent of his own casual efforts of just offering some of what could be found anywhere, Cain decided to lower the bar of what God should accept from his hands. And he decided to do it by levelling the playing field of anyone who could be compared to him. Now, it never was a competition for God's approval. But Cain turned it into one. And as we all know, if you can't beat them, kill them. Much more effective than joining them. Famous version of this you might know of, of, of this self-interested solution to competition uh, occurred in Texas in a cheerleading squad when in 1991 the famous Wanda Holloway hired a hitman to kill the mother of her own 13-year-old daughter's rival on the cheerleading team. Remember Wanda? Some of you might know this one. Wanda hoped that the other 13-year-old would be so devastated by her mother's death that she'd be too sad to compete and therefore her own daughter would go through. If you're wondering why Wanda went for the mother and not the daughter, it's because it was too expensive to take out the girl herself. The hitman charged too much for that. And just like Cain, Wanda Holloway got caught in the act. You see, real hatred leaves clear evidence. Real hatred leaves clear evidence. It, it shows up. It can't be missed. It might be missed by you and I, but it is not missed by God, and that's key. Notice that God is not absent. He's not unseeing. He's not uncaring here. God saw it on Cain's face even before it happened, and he warned him to take heed lest he fall. For regardless of God's delight in Abel's offering, that didn't make him distant or uncaring or uninterested in Cain. Not at all. Clearly not at all, because he's right there. Blessing Cain, walking with Cain, with these intervening words and instructing him what was best. Calling Cain to something better than the cycle of envy and hatred that had entered into his mind that he was dwelling on. And, and notice too that God didn't lash out at Cain with immediate retribution after the event. He, he patiently gave Cain the opportunity to own what he had done. And even then, his punishments upon Cain were targeted at redeeming Cain's heart over time. As much as Cain's smart aleck challenge was an attempted cover-up, he, he couldn't hide his sin from God. He couldn't hide his thoughts from God. And not only did God see it coming beforehand, also after. For as the creator and sustainer of life, he heard the cry of Abel's spilt blood calling for justice from the ground. God's present. He saw, he knew it all. That the deed had been done and now the wages were paid. And that's the big problem, isn't it? <laughs> the problem of real hatred, it brings real consequences from God. From God. And that's what we see as we now watch God intervene with Cain, just like he did with Adam and Eve after the event. God enters in to seek and to save the lost. He enters in to bring justice and mercy to bear on the situation. Check it out, verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, 
he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? He may not have said it like that. I just, that's how I would have said it. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment's more than I can bear. Today you're driving me from the land and I'll be hidden from your presence. I'll be a restless one of the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Again, that's how I would have said it. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod. Uh, that means the land of wandering. That's what Nod means in Hebrew. East of Eden. So he did wander. He didn't, yep, that's where he was. Cain made love to his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city out there and he named it after his son Enoch. So though Cain whinged and whined in pure self-interest, God could not be swayed from bringing his justice. And Cain now joined the curse on the serpent and the ground in chapter 3, also cursed. Did Cain admit his crime? Did he confess at any point there his sin? Did he seek forgiveness? No, no, and no. His heart's hard. It seems that after all, Cain is still only interested in himself. His heart is so hardened and corrupted by self-interest that he never recognised his fault. Instead, he infected the next generation as the fruits of rebellion were passed down to his son Enoch as Cain continued to disobey God. Did you notice the ongoing disobedience? God had sentenced him to wander the earth. He started out there, sure enough, but as a person... And the reason of this, of course, was if he's going to wander and he can't produce food then he becomes a person who is entirely dependent upon the mercy of others to keep him alive. So where he had failed to be his brother's keeper, he now must be kept by others entirely and learn to respect those who work the ground where he cannot. But instead, instead of obeying God's improvement plan, Cain rebelled again, married and built a city. Now, he can only have married one of his nieces or sisters because there were no other people. And he may have actually been married beforehand. It's just, we're just told here he made love to his wife and they had a child. It could have been married prior to the death of Abel. We're not told. But the key thing here, the rebellion here, is he settles down in order to build a city. Wasn't he supposed to wander? So arrogant was Cain and so convinced of his powerful legacy through his son Enoch that he even named the city then after his son. And you're reading this, we could be excused for thinking that disobedience towards God is, is maybe just not such a big deal afterwards. I mean, he clearly got away with it. He got away with it entirely, it seems. And, and good fortune, it seems, to be what follows the descendants of Cain. 
as time passes all the way down to the seventh generation, we see that they're actually quite successful in terms of this city and technical civilization, gathering people together to produce things. Animal husbandry, music, fine arts, the forging of tools and weapons all began with them. What's going on? At the very least, we must conclude that God's merciful love continued to bring the sun and the rain on the righteous and the wicked alike. And while that's true, and wonderfully it is true, it's also right to notice that God had given them over to their sin. As their thinking became futile and darkened, their foolish hearts were darkened as the generations continued. Did you notice that? Look at the evidence. We see that underneath that veneer of civilization lay a heart of self-interest and a growing desire for vengeance and death. Did you notice it there, verse 23 and 4? The way of self-interest, the way of Cain was alive and flourishing in Lamech's little ditty there that he used to terrorize his wives with. His threat of domestic violence Here's an example of what coercive control can sound like in a veiled threat. Lamech said to his wives, Adar and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. Cain, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Why tell them that? Why them? Why are his wives the audience for this threat? There's no safety in the city of Enoch. There is no rest in the house of Lamech for the descendants of Cain. Wound Lamech in the slightest, and he will seek to destroy you 77 times over. And so it is that for the descendants of Cain, it's just a devastating descent into a lifetime of fear. Praise God that chapter 4 doesn't end there. Because in verse 25, we come back to Eve again. The clock has turned back six generations and the focus shifts to Adam and his wife outside the city of Enoch where God's intervening grace is still clearly, powerfully at work. Verse 25. Adam made love to his wife again and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in the place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son. He named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. So we see, while we see God's sustaining grace over there with Cain and his crew still keeping them alive, we see God's intervening grace over here, granting them another child in place of Abel. And Seth was God's merciful gift, not just to them, but to us all. For in the time of Enosh... Son of Seth, which corresponds to the time of Enoch, son of Cain, we find a significant difference in what they care about. For rather than naming things after themselves and claiming power and authority for their name, it's the descendants of Seth through Enosh, who instead of 
wholly unto themselves, they begin calling on the name of the Lord. And while we don't see the immediate fruit of that here in Genesis, if we look down the line of Seth's descendants in the genealogy that follows there in chapter 5 and then on into chapter 11, and if we flick over into Luke's gospel and keep looking at that genealogy, we will find that we come at last down the line of Seth to the one we call Jesus. And we read in the New Testament that like the descendants of Seth before him, Jesus called on the name of the Lord. He called on the name of the Lord. Into the Lord's hands, Jesus committed his spirit when his blood was spilt on the cross by the hands of those who should have been his keeper. And it's Jesus, by his death, who creates a way of life, a way to live that transforms the way of Cain and each person whom he marks with his spirit. For as we read in the New Testament, the way of Christ is the way of forgiveness. Remember his words as they wounded him there at the cross? What did he say? Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. Friends, the way of Christ is the way of forgiveness. It's the way of life and relationship. It's the way of, of sacrifice and other person's centeredness. It's, it's unmerited mercy instead of revenge. And, you know, that, that's not new with God in Jesus. That doesn't just start happening when we get to the New Testament. Remember, we saw that same way of mercy in how God handled Cain, didn't we? We might have preferred that Cain be struck down by God on the spot. I know I did. But God showed mercy. Not only did he intervene to warn and instruct Cain and then give him the opportunity to own up, and, and to repent, still further, he delayed Cain's death sentence and even provided a mark to stop others taking just revenge on him and killing him as he deserved. God bore mercifully with Cain's self-righteousness and with the self-righteousness of his descendants also. He shows unwarranted, undeserved mercy towards self-righteous people, people who declare themselves righteous, irrelevant of all circumstances and evidence to the other. And this is good, isn't it? <laughs> because we're also infected with the same self-righteousness, the same view of ourselves, our sins. They are many. But praise God, because his mercy is more. Our sins are many. His mercy is more. And that's so good, and we marvel at that, and we should marvel at that, and we should be thankful for that. But what about justice? What about retribution for the perpetrator? Sure, God intervened to warn Cain towards self-control, but when he failed, still where was the justice? Where was that retribution? Where is the blood vengeance that was rightfully owed? What did God do about that? 
Well, don't worry, it wasn't overlooked or forgotten by God. Because remember, he heard Abel's blood calling to him from the ground. And what did God do with it? Oh, he stored up the full judgment for sin that should have been Cain's. The full judgment for sin that should have been yours, that should have been mine. And he stored it all up and at just the right time he poured it all out on his son on that cross. And it's our Lord Jesus who says and takes that cup from his father and he drinks it dry. That's what he does with justice and makes sure it is expended. The way of the way of God, the way of his son, the way of Christ is the way of extravagant grace, of undeserved forgiveness. Our sins, they are many. But his mercy is more. And moreover, we also know that God never forgot. He never forgot the events of Genesis 4. And he makes sure we don't forget them either. Not only do we have the text here so that we can see it, know it, learn from it, understand better. We also find this in so many places through the New Testament. That merciful mark that God will place upon his people. Hunt for that. Watch for that. But there's more. We also read in Hebrews chapter 12 that Jesus spilt blood. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel that called for vengeance. The blood of Jesus calls and speaks a word of forgiveness and not revenge. And so too we read that astoundingly difficult section in Matthew chapter 18 when the Apostle Peter came to Jesus and asked him, How many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Is seven times enough? That sounds pretty generous, doesn't it? Seven times. And Jesus replied, Not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Where did he get that number from? We know, don't we? And with these words, Jesus, the Son of God, unsheaths the sword of his word by which he slew the way of Cain, not by vengeance or by muscle or by further battle to strike the winning blow, but by extravagant forgiveness in the shedding of his own blood for the victim and for the perpetrator alike. So that we who call on him now might also learn to forgive also. Forgive like him. And so it is for us today that because of God's intervening grace, 
because of God's sustaining grace that we're even alive, but because of his intervening grace in particular, because of his sending of son Jesus to forgive us by his blood, that you and I can now choose to live together differently, to live calling on the name of the Lord like the sons of Seth, like Jesus himself. We can choose to do this, living this side of the cross. Well, we have been marked by his spirit living in us and we can therefore now choose how we will respond in any given moment to the things and to the people that trouble us. We can choose the way of Cain or the way of Christ. We can choose self-interest and self-righteousness or we can choose mercy and forgiveness. And we need to recognize this choice is a constant one, day in and day out for us. Because God has chosen to provide all kinds of difficult people in our lives, hasn't he? All kinds of people who provoke us and cause us strife. He provided you for me and you for each other. Me for you at this time. And in each of those relationships, there's lots of opportunity for frustration, hurt and harm, isn't it? So much room for mistakes. <sighs> Accidental or intentional. It's possible that we will let each other down and cause hurt consistently to one another. And it will be tragic and it won't be right. It shouldn't be condoned and things need to be done. And they ought to be. And as we deal with those things, let's seek to be those who don't go the way of self-interest and the way of self-righteousness as I did as a teenager. The way we're all tempted to go when things don't go our way. Rather, in God's strength and by his strength alone, let's throw off the way of Cain. Keep choosing to throw it off. And let's keep choosing instead the way of Christ, the way of mercy, the way of forgiveness. And as difficult as it may be, because it is difficult when we're hurt, let's be those who call on the name of the Lord together and to be those who plot and those who plan to always be our brother's keeper. Let's pray and ask God's help. Will you pray with me? Oh, Father, you know us better than we know ourselves, and yet you are merciful to us. Your sustaining grace that we would live at all. Your intervening grace that we can be transformed and live anew, live again. You've given us your son. You've marked us with your spirit. We are yours, that we will not be condemned. But we still live here in these bodies and with these provocations and with the past hurts, the present ones, the ones we've done, the ones done to us. We're not sufficient for them. Would you help us? Would you help us to throw off the way of Cain? And to go the way of Christ. 
Would you forgive us every time we fail and falter in that and help us to help each other within it? And would you send our Lord Jesus soon that all this might come to an end and that the way of Christ would be the only way that's left? Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.